When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Hello, friends. Dr. Tim Jordan here. I'm welcoming you back to another episode of Raising Daughters. And if this is your first time on this podcast, I welcome you as well. And I always say that if you're the kind of parent who wants to remain an influence in your daughter's life now, throughout the teen years and beyond, this is definitely the right place to be. Uh, I talk about different things every every week or so on these podcasts. I've decided to do more interviews because I think those are more interesting maybe than you guys just listening to me doing a monologue. But today, it's going to be a monologue. But it's going to be about one of my favorite things to talk about. I've written some articles. I've written uh, some blogs. I've wrote a book really with a lot of information about how where you go to college is, is not very important. That where you go to college has been grossly overrated in, in our society. And there's excessive pressure and tremendous pressure from parents and teachers and, and high school counselors and the whole education system and, and college counselors that, that pretty much points everybody to top school or bust. Elite college, Ivy League school, or you're a failure. And that's, that may be somewhat of an exaggeration, but when I talk to young girls in high school, I don't, that's not, I, it's not that far off. That a lot of them feel that way. So I'm not going to talk much about the where part today. I'm going to talk more about why you go to college and how you go to college and why those two questions are more important than where. But just as a quick reminder, uh, I saw an article recently of the top CEOs in the Fortune Top 100 Companies list. Only 12 of the, of the 100 CEOs attended an Ivy League school. And that finding is consistent with Pulitzer Prize winners in journalism, MacArthur Foundation Genius Grant recipients, and leaders in the fields of science and engineering. The top people in all these fields tend to go to a mix of public and private colleges, top tier, small liberal arts schools, and there is really no rhyme or reason or pattern into where they went to college. But the, but the vast majority of American-born CEOs of these top 100 Fortune 500 companies I mentioned a minute ago did not attend an elite university. Now, this Ivy League mythology that has spawned a, a huge industry of test prep classes and, and camps to prepare you to, for the tests for the ACT and stuff, publications, U.S. News and World Report. Uh, also, it, you know, if, you, if you've been watching the news in the last six months or so, there's a huge story about the parents who got caught cheating, get, trying to get their kids into USC. They're calling it the Varsity Blues uh, issue. And there's even a great documentary, I think it was on Netflix, about Varsity Blues. You ought to watch that if you haven't. Just showing the tremendous pressure on parents to get their kids into, into, into a top university to the point where they're willing to cheat and try and buy people off. Now, when I see uh, girls in high school in my counseling practice, or even some of the women I'm counseling uh, in, who are already in college, I love to ask them the question, what are you going to do when you're done with high school? And the vast majority of girls look at me and they say, well, I'm going to college. 
And they, and they give you that kind of duh look like, you know, what else would I be doing? But when I ask them why they want to go to college, that's when it gets more interesting and sticky. I get one of two answers mainly from these uh, young girls, young women, I should say, about why they might want to go to college after high school. And the first answer is this, is this monologue about, well, if I, don't, I want to get good grades in high school because if I can go to, I want to go to a good college, a top college, because then I want to go to top college and get good grades so I can go out and get a really good job and make a lot of money. That's the lineage. That's the one path standard that they have been conditioned to believe in. That their whole life is about being on a select team and having straight A's and going to a top college to get a top job to make a lot of money. I heard a story a while back about a girl. Her name was Muriel. And when she was a young girl, her family moved to, to uh, Europe. I think it was France. And she went to uh, grade school there, and that's where she learned to play soccer. And she was really good. And when she was about, I think, 10, her family moved back to the United States, and she started playing soccer here. And she was always playing, like, way above her age level, like at least two years above her age level, and was still a stud. And she ended up getting a, a full, full ride uh, to go to college and play soccer. And she was a great player there. And it was interesting. She says that. When she was uh, starting her, I think it was her freshman year in college, the uh, head coach for the soccer team had each of the, of the young women coming in, come into his office to, to do a little Q&A. He wanted to do, uh, talk to them a little bit about the season that was coming up. And he asked Muriel, he said, what's your goals for this season? And Muriel quickly spat out, I want to be the best. And this coach said, oh, that's interesting. Okay, great. He said, what does that mean? And that kind of stopped Muriel short. She kind of went, well, I, you know, I, I, and she didn't really have an answer. I believe, like many girls I talk to, that that's the answer they think the adults around them want to hear. That's the party line, right? I'm going to be the best, best team, the best player, always do my best. And so this coach apparently walked over to uh, the door and he turned the lights in the room off and he turned them back on. And he said, if you want to be the best, it's just a decision, but you have to make that decision each and every day. And then he walked out and left her with that thought. And for the first time in her life, Muriel did some soul searching. Like, why did she want to play soccer? Why did she want to be the best? What did that mean to her? And what she decided was that she did want to be the best, meaning she wanted to be able to make the uh, World Cup team. She wanted to make the Olympic team. That was important to her. She wanted to play at the highest level. And so for the first time in her life, she really started applying herself to her fullest. Uh, it's, it's, it sounded like she was getting by a lot on talent up till then, which is probably true for a lot of really good soccer players. But she bunkered down and she worked hard and she graduated from college in four years. And she, uh, uh, I think she won four NCAA championships and she was the captain of the team her last several years. She did go on to make the Olympic team, and she won two gold medals. She did go on to play for the World Cup team, and she won two World Cups. And when she finally retired, she was number one leading scorer in, uh, in world soccer, women's soccer history. Muriel's uh, name that we know her by is Mia Hamm. Now, I think every one of our girls should be asked those kinds of questions all along the way. 
about why, why, why. Not just about, not just the college question, but way before then. Uh, I saw I saw a survey from I think it was 2014. It was called the American Freshman 2014 Survey, and at that time they showed that 73 percent of college freshmen had making more money as as one of the most important goals they had for going to college. And that was up from 42% in the 60s. It had gone up a lot. So a lot of our young people are being pointed in that that direction. I think being driven to be accepted into an elite college has become like an end in itself. And it also turns into this, this pursuit of a prestigious job, getting rich, and none of those things, going to a good college, getting a good job, making a lot of money, none of those things in and of themselves is wrong or bad. But there's good research that shows that people who are driven by these externals about being rich and being famous and and looking good, that people driven by those externals end up less happy, less fulfilled than people who are motivated by more intrinsic things like finding a purposeful career and making a difference, things like that. I think our young people have been conditioned to overvalue things like popularity, fame, being rich. You know, they watch all those TV shows being special, being the best. They've also been conditioned to need all the externals like praise and rewards and awards. They've been directed to be on the best club sports team and winning and winning championships and wearing name brand clothes. And eventually it becomes about a name brand college. So we need to educate our daughters and our teachers and our schools about the fact that this is a really unhealthy pattern and a really unhealthy one-path model that's not working for our daughters. So, I think it's really important that all of our daughters start getting clear along the way about their reasons for why they want to go to college. The mental health issues for college women has skyrocketed in the past 10 or so years. Um, and I've, I've talked about that in previous podcasts and blogs. Things like anxiety, depression, hopelessness. Um, all, all really high, um, stressed out. They're doing, and that's not just like twenty percent or thirty percent. Every year, there's a survey that goes out to college, um, university, uh, mental health people, and what they're finding is for women, it's like two thirds, at least percent of women who are suffering with those kinds of mental health issues, and I think it's in part due to them going to college and choosing a field of study that's not for their reasons. I think girls, even more so than boys, are wired for social approval. I think girls are very sensitive to the approval of other people and not wanting to disappoint people. And so many of them who I counsel, who I've met in my camps, in my retreats, in my school programs, many of them make choices in life based on not wanting to disappoint their parents and teachers. And because they've adopted that narrow list of acceptable outcomes, which I mentioned before, that's what they're striving for. And it's no wonder that in those college years, many of them are stressed and depressed and anxious and miserable. We need to teach our girls right from the start how to to support their internal motivation all the way through childhood. We need to do that. So we need to ask them questions, starting when they're little kids. Why do they like to draw? Why do they like to color? Why do they like to play soccer? When I see girls in my, in my office, especially if they're in middle school or high school, I'll say, well, what kind of grades do you want to get? And of course, they say, well, A's, like you idiot. 
And I'll say, well, why do you want to get A's? And again, most of them stutter. They don't haven't really thought about it for themselves. Why might they want to get grades? Why would that be important to them? A lot of times their answer is about external stuff. Well, because it'll please my parents or I won't get in trouble. Um, it'll look good in my transcript. I want them to have taken the time to think more about why. I remember uh, one time I was talking to a group. It was, it was a father-daughter retreat. These are girls who were like seven, eight, nine years of age. I was talking about this concept of asking your daughters, you know, why they love to do what they do. And so there's a girl sitting on her father's lap in the front row. So I said, you know, what's your favorite thing to do? And this little girl said, I love to dance. And I said, oh, why do you like to dance? And she, she's like, she turned her head up a little bit like people do when they're thinking. She said, well, she goes, you know, at first when, we, when I started dancing or I go out there for those at the beginning, she said, you have to kind of do the steps that they teach you. But then once I'm out there, I can start doing my own thing. I can kind of create my own steps, my own rhythm. She's, and she, then she stopped and she said, I love being in control. <laughs> and her dad sitting behind her, you know, nodding his head like, what? I've never heard this before. So when, when we ask our, our daughters questions like why they want to color, why they, why they like their picture, once they tell you their answer, you just mirror it back so they can internalize it. They're internalizing their why. Why they love to play soccer, why they like to score the goal, why they like to get a good grade, why they like to do whatever they're doing in life. I remember giving a talk years ago uh, to a school district, and I was talking about uh, self-motivation and how we need to do a better job of teaching our, our kids to be more self-motivated, how we need to ask some questions like I'm talking about. And at the break, a, a, uh, a man came up to me and said, hi, I'm the high school senior art teacher. He said, I know just what you're talking about. He said, I did some reading this summer. I went to some conferences. So I decided to do more of what you said in, our, in your talk this morning. And so when these high school seniors would come to me with their work, like they did a drawing for their homework, um, they would hand to me and, they, um, and I, they would say, you know, what do you think? And I started to reflect back. I'd say, well, what do you think? And he said, it was interesting because most of them stammered and they would say things like, well, oh, but you don't like it? you know what, I can do it over again. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not that great. And they, and they started to do all of that. And he said, I said, I would say to them, I just want to know what you think. And he realized that this is their 12th year of school. And nobody has ever asked them, what do you think of your work? I think our teens need to learn, our kids need to learn, especially in their teen years, how to get comfortable with being quiet, having alone time, when they can think, reflect, contemplate, and soul search. We tell our kids to follow their hearts and to trust their guts, but it's really hard to do that when you don't know how to access your inner world because you've been so externally motivated. There's a good Japanese proverb that goes like this. The nail that sticks up gets hammered down. Sometimes girls' choices may go against the grain. It might go against their parents' wishes. So I tell them all the time, listen to your parents, listen to the adults around you. It's okay to always listen. They love you. They care about you. But filter that through, is that right for me? Because when you're getting into late high school and beyond, you need to know what's best for yourself more than your parents and more than your teachers and more than the high school counselor. 
And they need lots of practice doing that before they go off into the world and or they go off to college. Because if they're choosing their activities, if they're choosing their reasons for their grades, if they have that kind of autonomy, they're going to put a lot more effort into it, whatever it is that they're doing. They're going to be much more willing to stick with things if it's challenging, if it's hard. And at the end, they're going to be much more fulfilled and they're going to own the successes because it's their choices. It's their thing. And if you can give them 18 years of that growing up, then that, they'll carry that right with them when it comes to things like choosing their college, choosing their major, choosing their life's work. And they'll be much more willing to pour themselves into their college life and get much more out of it. Let's talk for a few minutes now about how you go to college. Um, I've met a bunch of girls in the last several years who, who for different reasons, weren't, didn't get to go to their top choice college. Sometimes they weren't accepted. Sometimes they were, but they didn't get enough scholarship money and their family couldn't afford it. The COVID thing in the last year and a half or so has added another layer to that. But uh, several of these girls did a great job of not letting that ruin their college years. The fact that they couldn't go to their, their you know, first choice. I think the truth is that what really matters are how well you use the college that you go to and what you demand of the university that you go to. The focus on those college years can be, can be different than grades and grade job. It could also include things like growing up, busting out of your comfort zone, trying new things, trying new subjects, Try new activities. Uh, reinventing yourself. I say it to girls all the time. Reinvent yourself. Try new things. Traveling abroad. Uh, I saw a girl in high school, um, oh, about eight or so years ago, who was struggling with confidence and making choices and things. And, and then she, you know, she learned how to, to take care of her anxiety so it didn't hold her back. And she was much more willing to advocate for herself. She went to college, did great. She spent one semester in Spain traveling abroad, loved it. And she's been working now. I, I, she called me and I've had a couple of visits with her. Uh, she's, I think, about 24 now. And she's restless. She's in a big city. She's in this really nice job that she loves. She's learning. She just got a promotion, but she's feeling restless. It's kind of like she moved to this big city, which was a big deal, but she's, but she's living with a relative and she's also hanging out with her college friends who all kind of moved to the same city. Again, it's not wrong, but there's a sense she's, she's feeling, an urge, kind of like, I want to spread my wings more. I asked her, you know, what kind of things, you know, have you done in your life that, that you really felt passionate about? And she said, I loved my semester in, in Spain. She said, I was maybe the happiest I've ever been. I liked being in Europe. So I was kind of like, you know, what's holding you back? And so she said, well, I don't know, it's scary. And, and my parents would say, well, you got a good job, you know, all this stuff. But, but I, I encouraged her, if that's what she wants, to start taking some action. So she's checking it out now. Um, so that, that experience in college of, of going abroad and not knowing anybody in Spain when she went, back when she was, I think, a junior in, in college, that expanded her horizons. And that's making a difference now as a 24-year-old. I think when, when they go to college, these girls should be creating fresh outlooks on life, uh, re-examine and question everything in their life, and also to draw strength and confidence from 
being able to navigate new experiences like going to, to Madrid, connecting with diverse people. Um, there's a girl who I had counseled starting in eighth grade um, for a few times because she was she was kind of a, a like a wild child. <laughs> she was a great kid, but just she was like a, a one of those you know little colts, young uh, ponies or colts, you know, kicking at the slats in her corral. She just wanted to expand herself. She just wanted to do things her way. Very powerful uh, girl who is now a powerful woman. And she, when she went away to college, she decided that she didn't want to do the norm. She had been, a, you know, a party animal like in eighth, ninth grade. And she kind of got through that. And she grew up. She, actually, she was one of our best camp counselors because she, was, she could draw back on those experiences. And she was so awesome and so powerful. And by the way, she's a therapist now. Um, and she said she's decided to join some clubs that were uh, that sparked her interest because she wanted to meet new people and have a new experience and not just get wasted every weekend. And the first club that she joined was a rock climbing uh, club. And, and she'd always enjoyed being outdoors. She would played sports. She liked being physically active. So it sounded like a good new sport, quote unquote, to tackle. And she, she remembered that at first it was really hard. It required long hours in the gym to develop her techniques and her strength, the endurance. It required her to learn a lot of technical jargon, jargon, and she had invested in some equipment. But she had some good teachers, and she had some great climbing partners when she, by joining that club. And she, she said climbing introduced her to a handful of driven, active, loyal friends. And she really valued those relationships that she built by picking up her new activity. She said her, new, her climbing friends encouraged each other. They went on these road trips during college to camp out, climbing, climbing most weekends. And they support each other in climbing and also just in life in general. She said there was something special about these relationships because of the reliance that climbers have on their partners. She said, I eventually was able to, to sport climb, which means I hooked up the rope to carabiners, placed 10 to 20 feet apart on the wall as she climbed. It was, it was like a mental game. Uh, due to the heights, the potential of falling, getting hurt, until the rope would catch her. And she said, I value this mental strength and perseverance that climbing helped me to develop. I also value the phys physical rewards that climbing gave me, increased energy, increased strength. She said, I graduated now and can no longer be part of the climbing club. She's out of college. She's got a job. She has her master's. But she said, my participation in that club still affects me today. I have lifelong friends I can call upon anytime, but she said my favorite reward of climbing is the mentality that I, I d developed. Now, when I set out to do anything, I don't give up until it's achieved. Climbing ignited my passion to set goals, work hard, persevere, and never give up on something that I want. I'll forever live for those values to continue to create the life I want. If I ever veer off my path, I can always think of my experiences with rock climbing, and that encourages me to, to get going once again. I think that's an awesome example of reinventing yourself and creating new experiences where you can learn more about yourself. I discourage women who go off to college from just reproducing their high school experience. Same friends, same kind of friends, same activities. They all join the same sorority. Again, it's not wrong to do that. But I think it's an opportunity to expand yourself, to join different clubs, Play new intramural sports instead of, you know, being one of these girls who all the way through grade school, middle school, high school, always played volleyball 12 months of the year. Try different sports. Try new things. Choose classes that interest you. 
get to know your professors, you know, join a yoga class. One of the things I did my first year in college was I was in two plays. In high school, I played sports every season and had always thought it might be fun to, to, to try acting. And so college gave me that chance. I was in a couple of plays my first year. I think I was in one play my second year. Loved it. Then I, I finally chose to do pre-med. I had no time. That ended. But but I think it was great. That those were different people I would never have met if I hadn't done that. So I want your daughters to be open to change and to approach the whole college process with excitement instead of anxiety. And to let go of that regimented, you know, linear one path to success that, that's been beaten into them since birth. I want them to start thinking about creating their own story. What's much harder to measure, but is more important to their young adult's life, is their level of things like integrity, their people skills, their level of grit and optimism, their level of street smarts, their stamina and determination. How engaged have they been in jobs that they've had or internships or their hobbies or passions? I've talked to uh, very successful business people all over the world in the past 20 years. I always ask them, when you're hiring young people, what do you look for? And that list I just gave you is what they look for. They don't care where they went to college and they don't care what their grades were. I've never had any of them say that. And I've talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. So if developing these kind of qualities is our intention for our kids uh, entering college, then we need to shift our focus in childhood and make it be less about rewards and being the best and getting straight A's. And maybe childhood should be more about things like growing up and trying different things and being around different kinds of people and different kinds of events and different kinds of activities. And that their experience in, in school should be less about just grades and getting into a top college and padding their resume so that when they go off to college, it'll be more about coming of age, navigating new people, experiences on their terms, figuring out who they are and what they bring to the table, what they're bringing to their community, what they can't live without. I worked with kids when I was a kid. I babysat. I umpired core league baseball. I worked at summer camps for like four or five summers. I knew that I loved working with kids, but um, I never thought about that as a career until I was in college. And I realized that no matter what I did, whether I was going to be a teacher or a pediatrician, that I wanted to work with kids. That was my purpose. As a parent, be really conscious of what you value and where you put your energy. So it's not all about A's and best team and select club sports teams. It's about other things. Teach your kids that why they're choosing to go to college or why they're choosing a particular college, why they're going is more important than where they end up. The why is important. It's also important about the how. How they do their college experience is much more important and valuable than the name of the university. Support your kids all along the way to have the courage to swim against the tide of the educational system, of their parents, what everybody else is doing, and that whole obsession with an elite college myth. Encourage your kids, and especially in the teen years, to be the architect of their college experience, to do it their way, do it for their reasons, and focus less on the name across the sweatshirt. Let me leave you with a quote um, from William Ernest Henley. Uh, the, the poem is called Invictus. 
which many of you have probably heard before. I just want to talk or uh, tell you the last, you know, four lines to kind of cement into your minds about how, why kids go to college and how they go to college being way more important than where they go. Those last four lines go like this. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I want those last two lines for every one of your daughters. I want them to be the master of their fate. I want them to be the captain of their souls. And I want them to be more focused in their life on the whys and the hows, no matter what they're doing. And in particular for this talk or this podcast about college. I hope this helps to open up your minds to maybe a different way of looking at school, education, and the whole college process, and to not get sucked into what everybody else is doing. If you enjoy these podcasts, please always share them, pass them on. I really do appreciate that. Also, I wrote a book uh, and published it about a year and a half ago called Letters from My Grandfather, Timeless Wisdom for a Life Worth Living. And in that book, it's really written for uh, girls in high school and college, I guess for boys as well but high school and college, young adults, if you will. I've, I've offered a lot of wisdom about things like this linear path and about how to find their self-motivation and how to find their purpose, how to find their calling. So uh, go to my website right now at drtimjordan.com. You can find the book there. You can find it also on Amazon, any, anywhere else. But I think it'd be a great book for you to read, to add to what I just talked about, but also to have your, your daughters read it and then read it together. Talk about it. Stimulate discussions about the, the why and the how about college. I'll be back here in a week or two with, with another podcast. And I appreciate you stopping by and passing them on. Um, again, focus on the why and the how. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.